The most important thing you could share with me today is your perspective. Because the freedom of perspective fuels the logic we use to defend truth. We never stop fighting for freedom and truth, and that is what makes us Americans. Welcome to Critical Thought with Noah Chalaya. Radio 1310 KNOX 107.9 103.3 FM. Good morning. It is 10.07 and 21 out. My name is Noah Chalaya. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you. Staring down the prospects of a divided government in the next Congress, some Senate Democrats are moving forward with legislation this week to protect same-sex and interracial marriages. It's a vote that is as personal as it gets, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said. Schumer is holding a test on the vote on wh- yesterday, betting that at least 10 Republicans will vote with all 50 Democrats to move forward with the legislation to ensure that same-sex and interracial marriages are legally recognized nationwide. The bill has gained steady momentum since the Supreme Court's June decision that overturned Roe v. Wade in the federal right to abortion, an opinion that at the time Justice Clarence Thomas suggested is an earlier high court decision protecting same-sex marriage could also come under threat. So I guess my my first question at 775-5559 is, do we really believe that there is any real appetite to banning interracial marriage or even same-sex marriage anymore? Is, I mean... Is that I I could have understood maybe 10 years ago that there was an appetite for legislation like this. But I tell you what, the idea that you need to pass legislation to protect rights doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. If there isn't a law on the books, then you can't be prosecuted for something. You don't need an additional law. And if you want an additional law to somehow protect or enshrine rights, that should not be done at the federal level. It should be done at your state level or your local level because it should be done in an effort to protect the, a state's autonomy to pass its own laws against federal overreach. 775-5559. Is there any real appetite for an interracial ban? To me, this seems very reminiscent of a solution in search of a problem. I I don't know that I've ever heard in my years walking along this earth that there are people out there, a group of people out there that thinks that people of of different races or different ethnicities shouldn't get married to each other. So it seems a bit disingenuous to say things like, well, we have to pass this to protect the rights of interracial couples or homosexual couples. 775-5559, you're on KNOX. Good morning. I have uh, shockingly two points here, Noah. Number one, uh, I don't know about this one. I know the one in the House. It's much more than just about same-sex and interracial. It talks about if one state does something, all the rest of the states have to acknowledge it. As it relates to marriage, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, think polygamy. 
and I can go worse with it. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I, this ahead. is this is great. I want to date. So here's my question: If you take this okay. approach, okay, so let's put ourselves in the mind of okay, so we have to protect marriage, and anybody can do two consenting adults, whatever they want to do. So okay, tell me why we shouldn't have polygamy then. I mean, if that's what you're saying, if you're saying that, hey, you know what? As long as they're consenting adults, do whatever they want to do. Well, what would be wrong with polygamy? Well, that's the point. I, I don't believe in that. That That's my issue. But besides the whole Tenth Amendment on the side. But the issue is, uh, so if a man wants to marry a dog. Again, if, uh, if and some state recognizes it, all states now. Re- right, here's my ultimate compromise to the left. When a law is passed. That a concealed carry permit is good, and if it's good in one state, it's good in 50, come back and talk to me. Okay. Well, that's fair. And then you can say, hey, uh, I'll recognize your marriage if you recognize my gun permit. I like it. All right, 775-5559. Joining us on the program, Senator Kevin Kramer, he from Washington, D.C. Welcome in, sir. Good to be in. I Sorry, I'm a little late. I was trying to make this work from my desk phone, and for whatever reason, my desk phone's not working. Isn't that weird? You know what? Anyway. We we appreciate the fact that you take the time, and we appreciate the fact that uh, uh, that that you you take time out of your busy day when you're when you're busy doing your job. So I know no problem yeah. at all. No, I'm I'm glad to do it. It's always helpful to me. But I was enjoying that little discussion you were having uh, just as I was waiting here. Um, uh, about the Tenth Amendment states' rights and um, and all of that, as it relates to obviously the the, the bill that's in front of the Senate right now, uh, they call it the Respect for Marriage Act, and um, you know the Dobbs decision versus you know Oberfeld and all the other stuff that that, that gets very complicated very quickly. Yes, um, boiled down to a simple issue of states states' rights, I guess, is what the, the caller was saying. So both you and your counterpart, John Hoven, have voted against this. What are your thoughts on this Respect for Marriage Act? So a couple of things. First of all, um, you know, set, setting the, the policy aside for a moment, the issue is is that the Supreme Court has already ruled, and there doesn't seem to be any reason ambiguity. to yeah. have this. Yeah, right. There's no ambiguity about it. In fact, the, the whole rationale they're using for bringing up the bill itself, even though it's already the law of the land, is that you know Clarence Thomas in in a in his Dobbs decision concurring opinion, which not a single other Supreme Court justice joined him on, hmm. um, referenced somewhat loosely, I might add, um, and, and and being taken out of context, the, the uh, you know other social or, or you know moral issues, I guess, and um, so the conclusion by the left is, oh, see, they're going to come after, um, you know, respect for marriage. And, of course, that isn't what his intentions are. It is clear that's not what's going to happen. In fact, other justices in the majority wrote very specifically that this should not be construed as in any way, shape, or form as, um, you know, as being applicable to uh, to gay marriage or marriage rights. So um, it's, really, it's really silly that we're even voting on it, except that they might want to do something else. And so my concern, the reason I voted no, is my concern is that there are religious liberty ramifications to this. By that I mean um, religious organizations to include churches, uh, you know, healthcare facilities, um, adoption agencies, obviously, um, uh, healthcare facilities, uh, you know, schools that that are subject and have been subject to uh, harassment by our government, to lawsuits. Um, to threats uh, of, of removing their religious 
their religious freedom, removing their religious exemptions, mm-hmm. and uh, with the IRS specifically, uh, their you know nonprofit status. So, and and to use it, use this issue of of uh, sexual orientation discrimination as a reason to shut them down. Not not just you know do certain things, but to literally shut them down as as a state actor. That's what you call a. A private entity that has a that that does uh, you know roles and you know that involves state licensing and things like that. Mm-hmm. And of course, they'll tell you they the left will tell you well that's not our intention. We even we're even allowing language and amendment to to this bill that that ensures that religious liberties cannot be infringed upon by this mm-hmm. by this act or by this statute. The reality is though they also include language that opens the door for harassment outside of that statute that statute and particularly the IRS and the IRS, as we know, is it can be, and often is very aggressive. We also know that they, uh, you know, earlier this year, Democrats passed their, their, um, the inflation reduction act, as they called it, which added 87,000 new IRS agents for enforcement purposes. Um, so, uh, you know, for that reason, that reason alone, the idea of passing a bill that's not necessary to accomplish the goals, the stated goals of the left yes. um, opens up the opportunity to do much, much more damage to religious freedom. And I, I simply have to stand against that. Obviously. Absolutely. You know, if they, if they, the power isn't needed, it shouldn't be granted. 775-5559. You're on KNOX with Senator Kramer. Good morning. Hi, Senator Kramer. Um, curious question for you. Why are, is this such a push to get this bill through? We've got other bills that are sitting out there, and maybe not as important, but like the Daylight Savings Time bill, that's gotten pushed off because they don't want to talk about or do anything about it. But this has got yeah. priority over Daylight Savings Time? I mean, what's, what's, the, what's the agenda there on that? Just Yeah, so, this, so the caller raised a really good point, again, Noel, because he's, he's not, it's not so much the policy issue itself. And he raised an important point about the priorities of the Congress itself. Mm-hmm. And especially given that, you know, it, it used to be that we'd be done for the year by now. And now we're going to be here probably till Christmas Eve to do things like fund the government. Gee, that seems like it might be a higher <laughs> priority than, than this. Or the National Defense Authorization Act, which we do every year to authorize our military and military spending. That seems like it could be a pretty high priority compared to, to this issue. Yes. Um, so he asked a relevant question, and I think the answer is simply that this is the left's highest priority. They want to they put up bills to divide Republicans, divide conservatives, that unite the left and unite liberals, empower their base, fire up their base, and, um, and then to open the door for potential further uh, infringement of, of uh, the government on, on religious rights. And so uh, that's why it's their priority, but the caller's question really answers itself because it's a demonstration of priorities, and this is, a, this is certainly a screwed up one. 775-5559, you're on the air with Senator Kramer. Good morning. Well, my question is, well, first of all, statement. So I'm glad that Nancy Pelosi is uh, no longer in charge of the House, or will no longer be in charge yeah. of the House, which kind of right. leads me to the question. Um, why do you think we didn't get that red wave that we would like to have seen? And do you think that it is an issue with messaging cons- through conservatives, or do you think it's just, they are better strategically at 
mm-hmm. how they run their campaigns and their elections, and what do we need to do before um, 2024 to really um, fix what's happening, because we're going backwards yeah. as a country, and we just need to get yeah. it fixed. Yeah, no, really great observations, and and um, it's some of the things you talked about, and and many more, I think, in, in my view. And I do think one one of the problems we sometimes have in these postmortems is, you know, we like to find one one villain, if you will, you know, one person to blame. Or, you know, everybody wants to be the one person that gets credit for good things, and they want to find one other person to blame or one issue, and it's really comp- a, a number of things. I do think on the strategic, you know sort of politics of it. I do think that they've, they're a little better at it than us. We tend, remember, remember one of the things we always brag about, and this is what gives me great frustration, not just in the outcome, but in how long it takes to get to the outcome of elections when we used to have an election day. I think they're better, particularly in the blue states and frankly in the purple states where they have some blue leadership, whether it's governors or, you know, the legislature, uh, you know, a secretary of state, where they create a system of several days to vote, the ability to, to, you know, combine ballots, to do ballot harvesting, all of those things. And then they, you know, use drop boxes. They use, you know, mail, mail in, they use day of dropping off ballots that take days and weeks to, to, to count. And we pride ourselves as conservatives on doing it the good old fashioned way, showing up on the, you know, the, first Tuesday or, you know, after the first Monday of, of November of every year, you know, rain or shine. And I do think that we, we as Republicans have to get better instead of complaining about the system, take advantage of it. You have to play by the rules that the game is governed by. And if you're not playing, if you're not doing everything that the rules allow. You're not, you're not trying hard enough. I, I do. So I do think there's some stretch strategic thinking we have to, we have to do, but I don't think that was so much the issue in this election, nor were conservatives, by the way, to, to, to the caller's question, are we not communicating properly to conservatives? The, the exit polling, and I've seen quite a bit of it now, shows that conservatives turned out in really record numbers. Our base was not the problem. Um, the Democratic base was also turned out in big ways, and I think they were very motivated by the Dobbs decision, the, the, you know, the, the, the right to, to abortion rights. Um, that that motivated their base. We knew that that may happen. It did happen. It happened in a bigger way than we anticipated it happening. I think it's an illustration that we aren't listening to each other very closely, but that's a that's another whole issue. Um, again, that's why I love this show is because, as you know, you get people from all sides. <laughs> you get the spectrum. Short time. It's pretty wonderful. That's right. That, well said. I think our pro- our problem is clearly with the middle in the, in, in the election. We were we as conservatives and as Republicans were counting on people's opposition to the inflation and energy crisis that is created by this administration. There's not even anybody that doubts that anymore. The problem was we probably didn't communicate well enough uh, on other issues that are also important: education, um, and some some did, but not everybody did. But our exit point did really did show that a lot of people who are very have very negative feelings about Joe Biden have you know equally negative feelings about about Republicans in in control that it's just too much uncertainty a little too chaotic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't the left and it wasn't the right. It really was the middle that we lost. Now we gained in a lot of areas. Before we get too down on ourselves, remember this map was against us all along in the mm-hmm. Senate. We were defending 22 seats as Republicans. They were defending about half that many. So 
we were in a much tougher spot to begin with, even though the climate was favorable. Um, but it really, it, we gained with Hispanic voters. We gained with black voters. We made a lot of inroads, but we did lose with young voters and, and independent voters. And we, we need to get independence back. We are still largely a center right um, society. Uh, but what we have to be careful not to do, I think, is to not have a knee-jerk reaction that, that you know, push, pushes us further to the edge, but rather find a way to appeal you know, to the middle with, with integrity and dignity. I love it. Senator Kramer will continue next. This is Critical Thought on KNOX. KNOX 1079-1033 FM. Welcome back in. It is 1026 and 21 out. On the phone with me, Senator Kevin Kramer. Your calls, your texts, they're welcome at 775-5559. You're on KNOX with Senator Kramer. Good morning. Good morning. Hi there. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Um, Senator Kramer, it took the, the Republican Party, and I'm, I'm a Reagan Republican. I'm not, I guess, the modern day Republican. But anyway, um, <laughs> like it took the Republican Party about, I don't know, 12 years to quit running against the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that finally got settled by the courts. But I was wondering how much longer um, some of the some in the Republican Party are going to run with the election denier stuff uh, yeah. after mostly resounding defeat of those candidates. Yeah, so really, really good observation and question, because it gets to a broader question, really, because you're talking about two things. One, being against something, setting aside the issue for a moment, you know, your illustration. And I do think that's part of our problem, that it's that running against things, while you certainly need to stand against things, you certainly need to fight bad things. But one thing about the electorate, by and large, they're forward-looking campaigns need to be about the next election, not the last election. Mm. And what we did with, I think, in my mind, we had far too many candidates, particularly in the House of Representatives, that had great opportunities in a great climate who were more obsessed with the the last election than the, the next election. That's just not where most people are. So I, I, I get the person's question. It really is making a point. Mm-hmm. I think the point was driven home by the results of the election. And that's part of what I meant by chaos. So I think we have to be much more forward looking and that that's what gives people confidence. And when you're not forward looking, um, you know, it, it doesn't give them confidence. It looks like chaos and negativity. I think those, those points were well made in the question. Seven, seven, five, 55, 59. You're on with Senator Kramer. Good morning. Hey, hey good morning, sir. Um, morning. I, uh, <laughs> I promised I was going to do this, and I'm following through um, the last time uh, you were on. So, recuperation of separation pay from VA disability benefits from people who were not 
discharged for medical reasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you guys going to do about it? When are you going to stop doing this practice? Um, there's, there's well over at this point, a billion dollars that have been withheld period from that. Um, the Rand Corp study that was done several months ago, initiated by Congress, that was, um, that lumped all of the medical separations as well as the non-medical separate involuntary separations together. That's an inappropriate way to view the information. Um, it, it, it doesn't give you an accurate picture and well, I mean, (laughs) but what it does do though, you're right. It gives a more dramatic picture, which can be a deterrent from do from action. Is that, is, is that sort of one of the points you're making? Uh, it's not irrelevant information, but yours, it's not that it's irrelevant. Right. The point, the point, the point I'm trying to make is, is the fact that one, the information is not being presented correctly. There is nothing in the CFR or in title 10, uh, or any of the other titles that govern separation pay, uh, recuperation that states that, Hey, this is to be viewed as a advance on any sort of. Uh, VA disability that these service members getting out may be entitled to because we know it takes a long time to process. There's nothing in there that does that. That's the the line they like to give. Mm. Um, Like I said, at this point, it's been about a billion dollars probably that's been withheld from stuff. Um, I know the way I look at it, the VA, you guys, somebody probably owes me about $49,000 $49,000 for the three years that I didn't get my disability pay after I was entitled to it. Um, you know, I'm fine now. You, 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 I, you I, it's not something it. I need. You earned it. Uh, I earned it, but I don't need it now. I'm more worried about what happens to the people after me. I want to leave this better for the people coming after me so that my brothers and sisters in arms aren't getting screwed over. So a c- couple of things. First of all, I'm not going to solve this in, in a week or in, you know maybe even a month or two. In fact, probably you know, once we get re- reconstituted here in the next Congress, we can take a, a very serious look at it. What we've done is I've called up the, uh, I want to get the, the study. I would like to dissect it and ask for um, the people that conducted it or the people that probably summarized it. And Rand, by the way, does a very good job. As you know, they're, they're one of the more reliable, um, one of the more reliable providers, if you will, of this kind of information, this kind of study that, that we count on, which is, I guess, part of why they were, they were um, commissioned with, with doing it. So that I get to your point better, I, I want to find out what's not just the big picture, but what, you know, what are the sectors, the segments specific to your, to your question. And then, and then start talking to, you know, start talking to my colleagues and talking to the staff on the VA committee that I'm on, as you know, and finding a way finding some ways to correct course i would submit to you though um I, and i don't i don't don't get me wrong i'm not interested in going way back way way back necessarily because i just had a discussion with the previous caller about looking forward not backwards <laughs> but for you to be this gracious about just sort of dismissing the fact that you probably are you use the word entitled i said earned um that that can be the same thing but you, you've earned that um you know, I don't want to completely dismiss that either. Well, we certainly want to correct course going forward. That doesn't mean there's not some injustice that also needs to be paid attention to. Um, but I promise you, we—I am looking at it, and we will look for 
for ways in, 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 and um, advocate and get colleagues um, engaged in a, in a way to try to try to correct course on on this what you call and I think rightly an injustice. I as I think I said last time, no, I've I've been since I've been in Congress, I've been frustrated by the way that our system, our bureaucracy, in some cases the rules, or some cases the laws themselves, in other cases the rules, in other cases just the implementation or enforcement rules, mm-hmm. discriminates against veterans who've earned more than one benefit. And um, without going again into all the, those details, um, what, what is the point of you know having a benefit and then earning another benefit if they're only going to take you know the, the the one benefit and use it against the other benefit. Right. You earned both of them. So, but look, I, I do want to look at the land study in, in more detail and, and in a more um, you know granular way and try to better understand it uh, with this caller's already very good counsel. Senator Kramer, that will do it for our time today. I continue to be appreciative of you making the time to speak to Grand Forks and allow them to address concerns and speak to you directly. We'll catch up with you again next week. Looking forward to it as always. Thank you. All right, Senator. Have a great rest of your day. It's 1034. We're a little bit late to the KNOX newsroom. Doug Barrett, he's up next. News Radio 1310, KNOX, 107.9, 103.3 FM. Good morning. It is 11.07 and 21 out. In the studio with me, Dr. Mark Jandrysaki from the University of North Dakota. Welcome in, sir. Good morning. We took a week off. Yes, we did. All right. So I want to get your thoughts on Donald Trump announcing 2024. Okay. So a couple things. So the first is I'm interested if he really is still the kingmaker that he was back in 2016 you know what back then it was novel we'd never seen a politician come out and just say whatever came out of his mouth like he just said that but i you know after four years of going through that and then now we'll have gone through another four years of a different presidency the country's in a very different place and i think public opinion's in a very different place you know what's changed well uh you know i mean obviously we have the you know different economic situations we're you know moving out of the the covid era hopefully Mm -hmm. Uh, so there, yeah, there's a lot that's changed. And I think you're absolutely right. I think his, his style, if I guess I could call it that is, mm-hmm. is, you know, it's been around for a long time mm-hmm. and you do wonder if that, that style and that message still appeals. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a really interesting question. I will say that, you know, he has very strong support among Republicans. If you okay. look at the polling, uh, he has, he's obviously the leading candidate for the nomination. Uh, and it'll be very interesting for me to see if other leading Republicans, say like Governor of Florida or other leading Republicans across the country, do come out and run against him in 2024. Because if you look at the polling numbers, he has very strong support among Republicans, among the base. Do you think that Ron DeSantis and or Mike Pence would make a run against Trump? Uh, you know, I, I think they'll have to calculate, right? Uh, I think uh, Governor DeSantis, for example, is 44 years old. And, uh, you know, he's got a long history, years, decades ahead where he could run for president. Okay. The problem is he's term limited in Florida to two terms. So, you know, if he doesn't run in 2024, he's got two years to run between leaving the office in 2028. Uh, so you'll have to calculate that. I'm, I don't think uh, 
former Vice President Pence really is. I don't think he's a he's a non-starter. I think really. Uh, I think he just lacks appeal. Okay. Uh, you know, I mean, being vice president's a thankless job, and yeah. uh, you know, in four warm years, warm bucket of spitter. Yeah, yeah, it's just yeah, warm bucket of spit, exactly. And it's very hard for I think someone a one-term vice president to make a splash like that. I mean, certainly Walter Mondale ran in 1984 and got clobbered, uh-huh. but I, I just don't see uh, former vice president Pence really mobilizing a lot of support. He doesn't seem to have it uh, across the party. Uh, but again, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there may be other candidates that emerge. But I do think right now, uh, you know, Donald Trump is clearly, you know, among Republicans, uh, extremely popular. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if anyone's willing to risk their political career, any serious candidate is willing to risk their political career and standing within the party to run against him in 20, for the 2024 nomination. 775-5559, that's the number to join us. You can call or text that same number. Email us live at com. So as we start looking to the the Republican nomination, you know, the other thing that occurs to me is one place that Donald Trump really struggled was with suburban housewives and, and you know, and moms. And you know what they want right now? They want to be done with campaigning and politics for crying out loud. Can we get through Thanksgiving and Christmas? You know, sure. and I mean, we're not even the votes aren't even in yet. You know, they still have this runoff election in Georgia. I think Alaska does the instantaneous one, but we don't even have the votes in. And he announces his presidency. Do you think that's a little bit tone deaf to the room? Well, I do think that certainly leading Republicans didn't want him to announce. Uh, they wanted to wait till at least after the Georgia runoff. Yeah. They certainly were worried he was going to announce before the midterms were even done. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think most people, sensible people, not people whose job it is to pay attention to this stuff or mm-hmm. political junkies, are, they don't really pay much attention. I think most people do, sure. you know, they do turn off. I think that that is to me an interesting question because you've you know, never seen someone announce two years ahead right. that they're running. Yeah, and it's, it is two years till the next election, mm-hmm. and you do wonder about people's attention span and people's willingness to uh, you know pay attention to something that far out. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right about sub, you know this is the suburban moms, right? I mean, they certainly uh, that was a key to his defeat in 2020. If you look at states like Pennsylvania, especially, uh, and so you do wonder if if less would be more. Right. You know, for for him, you know, if he just stayed out of the spotlight for a while, that would be something, a wiser political strategy, you know, give people a break. I, I told my, my counterpart on the air, uh, Brian Michaels, when he, we were doing the crossover off the air, I I'd said being kicked off Twitter might have been one of the best things for that man ever, because as soon as they took that platform away, he stopped saying stupid things and it just it, it became more palatable. Seven, seven, five, fifty five, fifty nine. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Hey Noah, hey Jim, money here. Uh, he he kept saying stupid things, but you had to go to his rallies to hear them. So <laughs> they just weren't as easily accessible. The stupid things that he said, but uh, more to the point. Um, so I think a couple things. First of all, um, the idea that Mike Pence is a non-starter because he was a vice president. Well, we have a president right now who was a vice president who's half brain dead. Uh, so I don't know if that's necessarily true. Although, yes, I do know Mike Pence is not very popular at the moment. Um, uh, but I, the questions I had, it's kind of a two-parter. One is, what are the Republicans offering? Because it kind of seems like right now they're just the anti-Democrat party, right? They're not really proposing solutions to our problems. They're not mm. really giving us any big ideas. It's just kind of, it's just kind of like, we can't let the, the Democrats destroy this country. That's like mm-hmm. the only thing they're saying. Um, and then the other part of my question is, can we talk about some, some candidates, some potential candidates that aren't just DeSantis and Trump, 
and uh, these same names that we've heard over and over and over again that have been running over and over and over again. Like, do you have any ideas of um, some fresh candidates out there that we might talk about? So those are my questions, and I'll hang up and listen. Thanks. Great question. Sure. Uh, okay, well, the policy question is interesting, right? I mean, one of the things I always tell my students is it's very hard in politics to beat something with nothing. Yeah. Uh, and total negativity doesn't get you very far. Um, I do think they do have some policy proposals. It's just that people aren't paying much attention to them. Uh, you know, Senator Scott of uh, Florida, speaking of potential presidential candidates, yeah. uh, proposed a bunch of things uh, which kind of disappeared. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they do. there are proposals out there. They do talk about things like you know, the border and things like that. And, and there's some discussion of cuts or changes to Social Security. But you're right. It, it mostly seems like the campaign was – the Democrats are bad, vote for us. Yeah. And that is not necessarily a good sell for people because people do want to hear positive policy ideas, right? Uh-huh. Here's what we're going to do for you. Here's how we're going to make things better. Not just our opponents are terrible, vote for us. Yes. That can work once in a while, but not all the time. Uh, the other part of the question, yeah, okay, sure, there are plenty of other people who – anybody – here's every governor and every senator wants to be president. Okay. Okay. And that's just, I think the case, you know? And so there's lots of people who probably, you know, measuring drapes in the white house, as they say, Mm -hmm. but you know, who, who might be preferable to Trump or DeSantis and who, who else might run? You have the governor of of Virginia, Mr. Youngkin, you have, uh, you know, various other state governors around the country that have been talked about as potential candidates, governor of Texas. Uh, you know, so there's lots, there's no shortage of people who could run for president. There's a number of senators, uh, Senator Scott of, of Florida mentioned, mm-hmm. but there's others. There's plenty of people could run, but the real calculus here is, you know, are you willing to basically go on a kamikaze mission against Donald Trump, who is so popular with the Republican base right now uh-huh. that you're basically, you know, destroying your political career to do it. And so that's really the question, whether there's people with the political courage to basically say, I'm going to go up against him and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, because lots of people haven't. You saw that Senator Cruz just today announced he's all in for Trump in 2024. So there's one potential candidate off the map. Uh, but yeah, there's plenty of potential candidates, but these are people making calculations about their political futures. And is it worth going up against Trump in 2024? Now, things could change, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he, you know, he could be indicted. He could have a health problem, he, you know. Lots of things could change, mm-hmm. uh, but I think there's people right now feverishly calculating the, the political cost of going up against Trump for the nomination this time around. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. You're on KNOX with Dr. Jindraza. Good morning. Hey, Dr. Tim. I'm back with a follow up because uh, I, I like the answer to my questions. Um, but I would the follow up is what about somebody who's not just a senator or a governor, the typical candidates, because, you know, you look at Donald Trump, he was an outsider, right? That was a big part of the reason he was so popular. He's a populist, a man of the people, so to speak, a billionaire man of the people, but a man of the people, an outsider. Um, are there any, so I've, I've thrown out the name Mark Cuban a couple of times and I've been laughed at about that. I think he's popular. He's got a lot of the same features that Trump had. Um, but is there somebody like, you know, and the Democrats have talked about Oprah, please no, no <laughs> Oprah, but are, are there any sort of outsiders, uh, business people or scientists or doctors or somebody like that that you could think of that might be an interesting, interesting uh, candidate? Uh, at the, you know, that's a good question. Uh, people often look for somebody different, right, to run for office. Uh-huh. And uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, right? You have you know, political novices do get elected. You have a you know, senator like Vance of uh, 
of Ohio has mm-hmm. never held public office before. So yes, there's definitely people who could could show up. The problem with celebrity campaigners is, you know, politics is about building networks and about, you know, having people owe you stuff and are willing to work for you. And so it's, it'd be hard for someone like say Mark Cuban or, you know, Oprah or someone like that to just show up, announce they were running. Mm -hmm. I think what Donald Trump had was a long, you know, a long history of celebrity. Certainly he also had a, a, a a very disjointed and weak Republican field in 2016. Mm. I mean, if there had been someone, one candidate he had gone up against who was conservative and acceptable, that might've been a very different outcome, but he had like eight people. Mm -hmm. And so he was able to, you know, win, win a plurality in a lot of, a lot of races, but it'd be very hard for a celebrity candidate outsider to run just because it takes a long time to build networks, a long time to, to build up, uh, build up that sort of thing. I think Donald Trump in a lot of ways is a unique phenomenon. Do you think it's a good idea that we even begin down the road of looking for things like celebrity candidates? Like it's one thing to say, oh, I really like the celebrity because it's such an entertaining television show. Well, that's great. It's a very different thing to put that person in charge of political power, put that person over you. And they don't necessarily have the experience to do so. Yeah. Well, we've done it. I mean, it's happened before. I mean, uh-huh. you know, uh, Ronald Reagan, of course, was an actor, but he did serve as governor of California for two terms and before he was president. Uh, what I would like to see with celebrities uh-huh. is, you know, well, how about running for your local city council first or run for yeah. mayor, you know, and then move on. You know, I mean, I think that that gets some experience, you know, uh, because jumping into even high public office is a, is a high learning curve. So mm-hmm. I mean, I would love to, you know, I'd love to, I mean, when Clint Eastwood was like mayor of his little town in California for a while, I thought that was great, you know? So it turns into this thing of if you're really serious about public service, don't do it for the spotlight. Go do it in a place where nobody will care because you want to go serve people. And then once you've proven success in a smaller ground, we'll trust you with more. I think, yeah, I think that's a good, I think that's good because it's, it's, there's a lot to learn mm-hmm. and it's not for a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people get elected to office and they discover it's boring. I mean, you get elected, <laughs> I mean, city council, school board, you know, this is, this is hard work and it's not, you know, always glamorous. And I think people need to work their way through that. Maybe mm-hmm. figure out, is this something I want to do? Uh, because you don't want people to just go to Congress and want to build their brand. Mm-hmm. You don't mm-hmm. want that. You want people going to be working. They're going to be working for their constituents, you know, helping them and not just try to get all the hits on Twitter. Absolutely. 775-5559. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Well, I got a question for you guys. Um, the red wave was, you know, just about here. It was high tide and all of a sudden it didn't uh, hit shore. But remember the last week? All the Democrat senators and all these people were saying, oh, if the Republicans get in there, we're going to take Social Security. I just want you to comment on that. Social Security ain't going anywhere right now. And maybe in 10 years, we're going to have to cut because we're going to go, you know, short on funds because it's a Ponzi scheme. We don't have enough money going in to keep it going. Thanks. Um, Well, actually, Senator Scott did put forward a plan for serious cuts to Social Security which is I think what a lot of Democrats were referring to. Mm-hmm. And if you look at some of the statements by Republicans in the House, they are talking about, you know, reforms or changes to Social Security. Uh, Social Security is not a Ponzi scheme. A Ponzi scheme is a very different thing. It's a social insurance program. It's very different. Um, I, I think, though, the, the one of the things about, talk about the red wave, mm-hmm. that was also driven by um, perception, right? It was driven by... I mean, even myself, I thought I, my predictions were off. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I predicted the Republicans would have 54 seats in the Senate and gain 30 seats in the House. I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Go to my Facebook page and you'll, you can find it. Uh, it's there. Nothing, everything lives forever on the internet, right? Yep. So 
Yeah, I think I think the one of the things that happened is you know a lot of pollsters and a lot of pundits are going to have to look deeply inside and see why did they miss this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there was definitely. I mean, Senator Scott did definitely propose some serious cuts to Social Security, and that was what the Democrats were probably referring to. What just out of curiosity, what do you think it was that that changed in between the polling that happened before and the political climate that existed, and when Americans actually went to the poll? Uh, well, a lot happened. I mean, you had the Dobbs decision by the Supreme Court on abortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a driver for a lot of people. You had uh, clearly, um, the, you know, as, some, as someone pointed, as one of the callers pointed out, the Republicans really didn't seem to put forward a positive vision. Mm. You know, it was it was it was unrelentingly negative. Everything's going down the tubes. It's all gloom and doom. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a hard you know that's hard to sell. I, I mean, if Ronald Reagan taught us anything, it's that positivity sells, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know smiling cells, you know, yeah. not doom and gloom. And I think one thing that we did see around the country was, you know, a solidification, like, you know, in, in Florida, the Republicans gained, you know, in other states, you know, sure. Democrats gained. Uh, so I think what we saw really was um, mobilized voters in some states, especially women. Uh, in other states, we saw, you know, unmobilized voters, low turnout, like in North Dakota, uh-huh. uh, where the elections were pretty much, you know, a given. Uh, so I think we had a, it's, it's a reminder, I think, Noah, that we have, 50 different elections around the country. Right. And so these national polls that say, oh, this is what's going to happen, miss out on just the diversity of, you know, elections in New York State are different than elections in Illinois or different than elections in Nevada. And we we get these national polls that say, oh, the Republicans are ahead, but Uh they miss out on the fact that, well, they're not ahead in Michigan. They're not, you know, they're, they're not ahead in, in, in California or they're, you know, gaining ground in New York. You know, we miss the nuance. We just start looking at these national polls. And I yes. think a lot of lazy pundits were just like, oh, look, here's a poll of 600 people across the country. The Republicans are going to easily win. Right. That's that's a mistake. Just like the polls in the summer are like, oh, here's a poll of 600 people in the country. The Democrats are going to win. Uh-huh. You know, it's the same thing. And we miss that nuance of the fact we have 50 separate states with 50 different elections and we have 435 elections for the House. Absolutely. Yeah. 775-5559. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Thank you, Noah. So, yeah, I I saw the midterms uh, highlight how radical some of these Republicans' ideas are, and how they're not unwilling to compromise on issues such as abortion. Now they're now they're you know rekindling the flames for homosexual marriage. Um, they have no you know real solutions to add to the current you know state of the economy. Um. I'm just curious, not to mention the fact that they had, uh, you know, adolescent, you know, uh, ignorant uh, election deniers as well. I mean, I I guess what I'm asking is, what do you see that Republicans offer as solutions to the current topics other than radical ideas? Well, I think it's an interesting question. Um, If you look at what, you know, what happened in, say, Florida, where the Republicans, you know, easily won re-election and, and uh, you know, built up their congressional delegation. Mm-hmm. The argument I saw from some Republicans was what wins is the culture war. What wins is exactly what the caller was saying. You know, abortion is actually a winning issue for the Republicans. Uh, you know, LGBTQ issues are a winning issue. You know, and so they should pound on the culture war. And I think that might work in some places, but I don't think it works around the country. I think people don't want to hear that. And I think the election denying stuff is actually true too. People are tired of that. They think it's it's become childish and they want to move on. Uh, I think what the Republicans need to do is basically say, you know, we want to, and some Republicans have said this in the house that they want to return to fiscal conservatism. You know, they want to rein in trillion dollar 
deficits. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, you know, when, when they're in office, they don't worry about deficits because no one in office worries about them. Sure. But, you know, I think the idea of, you know, financial stability might appeal to people. Uh, Reigning in government spending is always popular. Uh, but I, I do think there's a lot of people want to double down on the culture war, which I'm not sure is a winner nationally, but it's definitely a winner in some places. Okay. Uh, so, you know, again, we have 50 different states. We, mm-hmm. and what works in one state doesn't always work in another. We'll take the break here. When we come back, I want to talk to you about the messaging, you know, for Republicans. You know, you talk about abortion and some of these important social issues. And I think part of the problem there is the messaging is outdated. And I think that's unpalatable to a lot of people. So we'll talk about that. That comes up next on News Radio 1310 KNOX 1079-1033 FM. Good morning. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. That is the number to join us. You can call or text that same number. Email us live at knoxradio.com. You're on KNOX. Thanks for hanging through the break. Well, one more t- tidbit about Social Security. You know, you pay forward. My folks paid forward for me, and my kids are going to pay forward for me. And that's not a Ponzi scheme, but you can say it's a little bit related. But Schumer was out yesterday and says, amnesty, amnesty for these 30 million, up to 30 million people that are here working, not paying Social Security. We need them to pay Social Security. We aborted $63 million plus all the other ones with birth control plus uh, the morning after pill. That's why Social Security is in trouble. Uh, we're not getting enough funds for it because we have less people paying in. That's all I got. Thanks for the call. Any response or thoughts to that? Well, I mean, uh, I don't know where you get 30 million people illegally in the country. I mean, I, I, I hear all kinds of numbers for that. I'm not sure what the – no one knows what the real number is. I, mm. I use around $10 million. Um, one thing to keep in mind is that birth rates have declined and started declining in the early 20th century, even before the existence of, you know, legalized abortion or modern birth control. So people have fewer kids as they need less child labor. You sure, know, sure. As you move from an agricultural economy. I, but I do think, yeah, there, there is clearly a shortage of labor in this country. And, you know, you could argue it's declining birth rates. You could argue it's declining immigration. Uh, and sure, Social Security faces a problem of having enough workers working to support those who are retired. Um, so, yeah, I think some changes would probably be not a bad idea. The question is what? The problem is, right, that you end up with the injustice of, say, we're not going to fix change anything for people over 55, mm. but we're going to stick it to people who are like 25 who are paying in. Mm-hmm. That seems like it's a hard sell to tell younger people, right, you're going to pay in, but you're going to get nothing later because we've got to support yeah. grandma and grandpa. It's, it's a really hard thing. And I, I, t- I was actually talking about this in class this week, and I said, you know, Social Security has had massive social changes Right. The idea of independent elderly people uh-huh. is an unusual idea in history, you know, and, and the fact that, you know, all the old days, right, you lived with your kids if sure. they would have you. And, and so Social Security is a major social thing that changing it radically is, is would have massive social repercussions and massive political ones that nobody wants to touch. Let, let me run something by you. So what if we did something along the lines of, OK, you're over, you know, let's say 40 years old. There's no re- there's not really any time left for you to make any other options. So you just collect social security just as planned. If though you're under, you know, let's say 25, you don't pay into social security. And maybe if you're, well, let's say maybe like 25, 30, maybe you get your money back in the form of some sort of tax rebates. And then if you're under like 18, you never pay in to begin with. And in like 40 years, we could potentially get off of social security. Sure. But then we have the problem of millions of impoverished elderly people. Okay. Right. I mean, because there's the, no money coming into the there's system. There's no money coming in, and and people, you know, I mean, you want to say people should save for their retirement, but we have to realize there are millions and millions of people in this country who earn just enough to get by. Right. They can't put money away. 
it's impossible. Okay. And, uh, you know, and they would spend, if they got that extra money, was, wasn't going to social security, they would spend it on things like, I don't know, shoes for their kids, right? Or nicer housing. Uh-huh. And then you'd have the problem of re- literally millions of impoverished elderly people. And uh, I'm not sure how you would deal with that as, as a public policy question. 775-5559, you're on KNOX. Good morning. Uh, good morning. I'm triple dipping because I'm really <laughs> appreciative of the uh, doctor's knowledge. Is it Dr. Martin? Is that <laughs> Mark Gendrysic. Mark, Mark, dang it, I got it wrong. Time. That's okay. All right, I got, I'm getting it right the third time. Dr. Mark, I apologize. Quite all right. Um, so I, I see what I see is a is a trend towards on the left pushing towards socialism, which could eventually lead towards communism, and on the right, a trend of nationalism making America great again, which could potentially lead towards fascism. Both those things worry me greatly. What I think would help save this country, honestly, would be a strong third party. But to even have four or five parties, ideally, I think would be a great thing. And I think the only way to get there is what's called ranked choice voting yes. or instant runoff voting. And I'd I'd love to hear if if uh, Dr. Mark could explain uh, ranked choice voting or instant runoff voting to folks, because I've done a terrible job of trying to explain it, <laughs> um, uh, because I think that's really the only thing that's going to break up this duopoly oligarchy two-party garbage that we have all right thanks i yeah i completely agree i'm i would love to hear that explanation as well i want to take the break here and then we'll come back and i'll I'll listen to ranked choice voting and is it appropriate uh for our country would it work here this is critical thought on knox KNOX 1079-1033 FM. Good morning. It is 1143 and 20 out in the studio with me, Dr. Mark Gendrysic. He from the University of North Dakota. So when we went to the break, a caller asked you about ranked choice voting. And this is something that has intrigued me for a long time. And I get a lot of pushback from my friends that are on, on the right. They don't like this at all. And uh, I'll be honest with you, sir. I don't really understand why, because it seems like it might be a better way to elect people. So what is ranked choice voting? Well, basically, the best way to think about it is as an instant runoff election. Okay. So if no candidate gets 50% of the vote, instead of having another election with, say, the top two candidates or the top three or the top four, depending what state you're in, uh-huh. you just uh, start toting up people's choices. And so you'd go, to, you'd go to vote and you'd say, okay, my first place vote is this guy. My second place vote is this person. My third place vote is this person. And if that one person doesn't get 50%, we start counting the second choices and adding them to the tallies of each person till oh. we get over 50%. Yeah, it's mathematically pretty straightforward. I think the problem with it is that uh, if people don't understand it, uh-huh. they don't tend to make the second or third choices on the ballot. Sure. And so you end up, and this, and this was a complaint in Alaska with the special election for the House last uh, a couple few months ago, okay. was that you know a lot of Republican-leading voters didn't understand how ranked choice worked, okay. and they just left their second choices blank. Yeah. And so that's a concern people have is unless you explain to people what we're doing here is having an instant runoff election, we're toting up second place choices and adding them to people's vote totals. Uh, unless you explain that to people clearly, 
they get very confused about it. Maybe this is a little arrogant of me, but is that really a valid critique of a system that, hey, somebody didn't bother to learn how it worked before they went and did the thing, so that makes it a bad system? Well, I did, I, there's, a, there's an amount of voter education that you need. Okay. And I think you need to explain this to people. Uh, you know, when I worked as a, as a uh, election judge in 2020, one of our jobs was to explain the ballot to people and say it's, there's two sides. There's some elections you can pick multiple candidates. And so I think you would need to have a clear education for voters okay. about how it works. Um, I think it's, it's confusing to people because they see someone who came in second, right, win, which mm-hmm. happened in, in, in Maine with their ranked choice voting for uh, U.S. House last time, uh, not this time, but 2020, where mm-hmm. the Democrat in the first district won, even though he came in below the Republican by like half a percentage point in the original round, he got a lot more second place choices. And that can be confusing to people. Mm-hmm. So I think you need a voter education campaign. You need to explain to people how this works. And, and there are lots of other methods you could use for voting. Okay. I mean, there's dozens of ones you could talk about. We were talking about some at the break. Yeah. I mean, you know, you could have, give people points. Like, so I want to give, I have a hundred points to give and I give a hundred to one person or 50 to one person. There's lots of different ways to set up voting, but ranked choice voting is actually fairly straightforward so long as people understand what you're doing is you're sort of running a second election at the same time as the first one. And you're basically saying, here's my second choice. If this election, you know, here's my second choice, here's my third choice. You rank that and you accumulate those votes. The thing that appeals about this to me, Dr. Jindrasek, is the fact that if I go out to vote and I don't like the Democratic candidate, maybe I'm so-so on the Republican one, but I really don't like, uh, you know, the Democrat candidate, you start almost voting against one candidate as opposed to for a candidate or maybe the opposite is true right maybe maybe i'm so so on the on the democrat guy but i really just can't stand the republican guy so i go out and vote democrat just to keep this republican guy out of office rank choice in some ways fixes that does it not because now i have the opportunity to say here's who i think should get the position Mm. if i'm wrong and everybody else doesn't agree then here's who i think should get the position and so on so forth sure yeah i think that's that's plausible I think the, the way I look at it is this is just a, another way of running an election. Okay. And I think it doesn't help one party or hurt one party. I just think it's another way to run an election. It's a way to avoid the expense of running a second election, a runoff election like we're having in Georgia, uh-huh. for example. Uh, I think uh, it, requ- it requires education. You have okay. to explain to people how it works. And you know, the fact is most people don't pay close attention to politics. And I, don't right. blame, I don't blame them for that at all. Uh-huh. Uh, but I do think it would require education to clarify and to make it clear this doesn't benefit one part or the other. If I may just go to the third, the third party question the yes. person had. Uh, unfortunately, the way our political system is set up, third parties are non-starters. And they, you know, we have had two major parties since 1860 in this country. Mm-hmm. They've switched positions. They've switched where they get their, their strength from in the nation. Mm-hmm. But there's the, you know, they have the same name. Third parties just have a hard time. And it, part of it's the structure of our system, the very rules of our system, the very nature of our system with, with single-member districts and stuff, uh-huh. the electoral college. So third parties have a, have a hard road to hoe, and they, and they generally don't succeed because voters have the problem of saying, I don't want to waste my vote on someone who – can't win, or if they win, they're going to be just one one out of four hundred. I don't want that. So, I mean, a lot of people long for third parties, but the mechanisms, the history of our political system, just works against them so powerfully. I just don't see it happening. Do you think that there should be a push for third parties to push more into state and local governments? Like, go become a governor and show us how well your libertarian policies work in a state, and then come back and talk to us yeah. about the presidency. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think you know, but that's you need money, you need mm. time. And, and, and it, it, again, the way we design our legislatures, mm-hmm. 
works against works against that. Just the very there's a there's a so, there's a bunch of political science research on this basically. Okay, I could I won't bore you with, but basically, if you have single member districts, you have a much harder time for third parties to compete. Sure. And so, yeah, you could you could have, and there are plenty of third parties that exist. There's all all manner of them all over the country, uh-huh. but they have a real, but they don't do that, right? They don't seem to want to compete at the legislative level, uh, and and get like build up members, say in the legislature of South Dakota. Right? Yeah, um, it's more like I want to elect somebody, somebody governor, and that doesn't seem to work. So, right, it's just a hard road to hoe. And ambitious young people who want to be in politics gravitate to one of the two parties because they know that's the path. Of political success, yeah. you know, becoming a libertarian and staying one is is, is very difficult, right? Mm. For, you're not going to succeed, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, history proves that, and so I think you just have the built a lot of built in problems to make third parties unlikely. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. You're on Cano X. Good morning. Yeah, thank you. Uh, on that same topic, I often wondered what would happen if you got rid of the R and the D mm-hmm. next to the names. Yeah. Would it promote more education? Right. There, we have actually uh, natural experiments on that all the time. We have a lot of nonpartisan elections around the country. Uh, you know, uh, city level elections, uh, even elections for say judges around the country are officially nonpartisan. And what tends to happen is the higher up you go on the chain, so like if you have an election for state supreme court mm-hmm. that's officially nonpartisan, everyone knows what that person's political views are. Right. I mean, okay. people know this guy's really a Republican. This guy's really a Democrat. So getting rid of party labels uh, sometimes can have a positive effect on a local level. But sometimes it's just people already know what someone is. They just don't have it officially on the ballot. Uh, so, you know, I don't I don't think it's helpful uh, in that sense. And it doesn't drive make people learn more about candidates. Maybe. But evidence generally just shows it doesn't. Text message writes to seven, seven, five, fifty five, fifty nine. And says, when it comes to third-party candidates, we always hear now is not the time. The election is too important. This will be spoiled. Will there ever be a time, or is that just rhetoric to continue until we've enabled the major parties to completely destroy this country? Well, That's uh, not a loaded question at all. No, no, not at all. Well, people have been saying this country is going down the tubes since before this country existed. So <laughs> read my book, uh, An American Decline. But anyway, uh, sorry, shameless plug. But uh, I think – Again, for a third party to get traction, you need an issue that mobilizes people. Uh-huh. You know, the Republicans came about because they were mobilized by anti-slavery. They were mobilized by other issues as well that were vitally important to people in the northern United States prior to the Civil War. Uh-huh. What are the issues that you could build a third party around today? That's the real question. And on a local level, that might be easier to do. Okay. Because there are local issues that are unique that aren't paid attention to it by state legislatures or by, you know, elected officials who are from the two major parties. Sure. The problem is on a national level, what are the issues that people care about that the two major parties aren't addressing? Yeah. And it's hard to find them, right? Because the, the parties are like like the blob. They, you know, If someone has a good idea, they grab it, right? Yep. And bring it in. And so I think it's really hard for a third party to get issue traction, I guess uh-huh. you'd call it, because the issues are, are glommed on by the two major parties. And this has happened historically. You had, you had a prohibition party that wanted alcohol prohibition in the, in the late 19th century. And the, you know, eventually the Republican, I mean, Republicans became the party of prohibition. Uh-huh. You have all manner of issues like that that come up, uh, and the two, one of the two major parties grabs that issue and the voters that support it. So it's hard for a third party to keep that issue space going and get that traction. Dr. Mark Jendrysik from the University of North Dakota is a guest this hour on Critical Thought. Thank you, sir, for the time again. Thank you so much. Yeah, we'll catch up with you again next week. All right. Be all here. right. Uh, we'll wrap it up in the next segment. Hand it off to Brian Michaels. This is Critical Thought on KNOX.
Thanks for listening to Critical Thought. Download the show notes at criticalthought.show. The content from this episode was taken from the live radio show, which airs every weekday from 9 a.m. to noon on Newstalk 1310 KNOX. Streamed online at knoxradio.com.